I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. I am Catherine Whitaker, tennis broadcaster with Eurosport. I am joined by David Law, who has been commentating for BT Sport. And that is the reason that I am presenting this tennis podcast, because uh, David looks like he might not last for the full duration of the recording before falling asleep. How are you doing, David? I'm all right. I did have a bit of a sleep in the car on the way over here, so I don't, I don't really know where I am or what day it is. I'm also looking around me at the moment because you sent me a photo about half an hour ago of a Rosie the dog lookalike, um, and after hearing Rosie's bark last week, I'm a bit bit twitchy, to be honest. Um, I really thought about not coming, but you, you then sent me a photo showing me that, sh- that this dog is no longer here, so anyway, I think we're all right. Um, how is Rosie, by the way? She's great. Well, I see on the agenda that you've composed for this podcast, number one on that agenda is Rosie Update. She's she's fine. I feel like she's getting a bit of a bad reputation. She is the most delightful dog. Uh, she is very much a proverbial bark worse than bite. David's shaking his head. He doesn't like it. As a matter of urgency, I should explain our surroundings because they're going to make themselves very clear any moment now by some sort of announcement over the tannoy because we're at Waterloo Station uh, in London at Carluccio's to be precise. Other high street restaurant chains owned by well-loved Italian chefs are available. Uh, Yeah, we're at Carluccio's in Waterloo Station. There will be announcements uh, intermittently for uh, imminently departing trains, one of which I will be on at some point in the next hour or so. David will be hot-footing it back to Stratford for more BT Sport commentary on Beijing this week, which brings us on to, well... Our first topic of discussion after Rosie update, which I think we've covered. David, do you feel like we've covered that? Yeah, I think we're we're okay with that. I would say just 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 to reassure everybody, when I say I fell asleep in the car, I wasn't driving the car; I was a passenger in it. Uh, but anyway, that that's uh, that's that's all fine. I should point out that this is quite momentous. David, unlike myself, is not a napper. I mean, napping is probably what I do best in life. But David is not a napper this is this is unusual behavior i'm concerned i'm concerned we might not make it through this podcast so i'm going to press on very quickly second on the agenda wuhan review a tournament that was won in barnstorming style by petra kvitova what a statement from her uh, or, or as my son said uh, the kicking cur player uh, who he's decided he, he, he is his favorite uh, in the in the tennis world he, he's for everybody um, but uh, I mean my goodness wasn't she good it, it, you don't see Petra Kvitova play like that that often but when she does it's it, it is so unplayable it's it's unplayable you, you just I saw a couple of people, including a um, colleague of ours, Piers Newbury from the BBC Sport website, he tweeted that he was laughing out loud at some of the returns she was hitting. And it got me thinking, you know, that there are certain players out there when they hit their peak form that do, they, that you, your response isn't just to watch and applaud or gasp, it's to laugh. And 
um, you know, I asked on, on Twitter for, for suggestions of, of players who make you feel like that. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of those in a minute. But, but that's what um, Petra Kvitova did. I mean, she was beating people with score lines that were almost offensive. Yeah, Dis- Paul Dominika Sobolkova in the final. I mean, she just she wasn't in the match, was she? No, I mean, it was 6-1, 6-1. And I think she... I read she won one point in the first four games. And it's not like she was playing badly. She she got to the final, for goodness sake. She was in form. She's she's scrapping. You know what Dominika Sibelkova's like? She she scraps for every single point in every single match. And, and she was, is trying to get to Singapore. And yet she was blitzed aside as though she was nothing. That description actually reminds me of a very similar assessment uh, given by lots of people after the last Wimbledon that Kvitova won, beating Bouchard in the final. Of course, the, all the attention was on Bouchard, her reaching her first Grand Slam final, and the assessment afterwards, trying to assess how she had played, and it was just, well, it was fine. She just wasn't in the match because Kvitova was how Kvitova can be every now and then, which is frankly unplayable. Yeah, and it, it's, it's interesting to try to trying to get to the bottom or assess why that is why why does she do this every so often and then for long long periods of time gets nowhere near that sort of level i mean because she's a human being i think she she, she's she's not a robot she she, yeah she's she's just completely human but catherine they're all human beings none of them are robots i know somebody show some of them show fewer signs of it than others yeah I, i i understand what you where you're coming from but Look, Roger Federer, in his pomp, would make us react a bit like we're reacting to Kvitova now on a regular basis. Uh, there are other players that, that, that do it far more often. Than- yes, and they're utterly extraordinary. That isn't the norm. That's unusual. I, I, think, I think the fact that it's a shame that Kvitova is unable to do it so as frequently, but I can completely relate to why she's not able to produce that week in, week out. Yeah, no, I can, I can see what you mean. It's interesting. Mike Tomlinson on Twitter, hashtag players that make you laugh when playing well. Um, Vavrinka, he's probably the most similar, I would say, on the men's side in terms of that, that ability to just play silly tennis. You're thinking you, you can't hit the winners off that perfectly good serve or decent deep return, and, and yet he's just stepping around them and just saying, just get out of here. Just yeah. get out of here. I, I re-watched the, uh, the US Open final on on TV because I, I watched it without commentary at the time I watched it live in the stadium so I watched the Eurosport coverage with the commentary and everything just because I'm such a nerd and uh, yeah I was watching Djokovic's reaction sort of in that third set particularly his reactions to how Vavrinka was playing and he just I mean he was almost laughing he was almost laughing at points because he you know his reaction was well what am I supposed to do about this I'm the best player in the world that I shouldn't be in this situation how absurd that I'm in this situation yeah uh, by the way whose commentary were you listening to again Eurosports not mine well you weren't on the telly David you weren't on the telly okay Um, well we'll just um, I'll try to get over that Um, yeah no I I, I fully agree with you Um, interesting on Kvitova something that that really struck me that she said uh, after after victory was I, I, I think I probably just need to accept that I'm never going to be consistent. I'm never going to be somebody who can do this week in, week out. But I will have days when it happens, and they're great. But the other thing that struck me is, you know, when a year and a half ago, when she... She, she signed up a, a physical trainer and she was looking really trim and, and sort of more, more athletic and, and, and physically strong than I'd ever seen her look in terms of just her sheer physical off, off-court training. And then she, she had had a period of time out of the game. And, I'm, and, and, and Anki Othavong said on commentary during the final, she said, not everybody is built to train like that. And some people are better off spending more time on the match court and just playing tennis and, and just, just enjoying it and, and not, not driving themselves into the ground. Some players, like Andy Murray, has worked out, I have to put myself through this Spartan-like uh, training regime in order to be the best and get, get the best out of myself. Not everybody's built like that. Yeah, Pete, I, th- I think that's really interesting. There's, there's a you know 
when Vavrinka had his run uh, in New York and obviously won the tournament, there was you know there was a lot of attention on what Magnus Norman said about him and his natural fitness and that's something that we perhaps haven't appreciated he's a completely different physical specimen to Andy Murray to Novak Djokovic who are completely different physical specimens to one another in fact you've probably got the greatest contrast in terms of players at the top in the men's game in terms of their physicality you know Roger Federer compared to Rafael Nadal just two completely different beasts people are fit in different ways I think and different styles of training suit them differently there is not a one-size-fits-all approach I think that's a really really interesting point to make Kvitova now has an outside chance I believe of qualifying for Singapore we'll come on to that race in more detail because it's complicated there are a lot of permutations but first next on my agenda David which which I'm, I keep referring back to is Wuhan crowds we can't avoid it can we? Because you used the word awkward when we were talking about it just before we started recording. I watched the final yesterday and I was pleasantly surprised at the crowds. They were really decent, or this morning, whenever it was, um, uh, really very decent. But earlier in the week, they were not decent. There's no getting around it, are there? They were not decent crowds earlier in the week. And it's a big old stadium to only have a couple of hundred people in. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a 15,000-seat stadium. It is spectacular. It is gorgeous what they've put together in Wuhan. And, and let's let's not forget, this, this event is only three editions old. It, it is a brand-new event. Plus, it was brought to Wuhan partly off the back of Lina's success, and then she retired, basically, at the same time as the tournament started. So that was a blow to it. But what I really wanted to... I mean, it... You know, I don't, I don't want to come across as being negative about the place because I think it's fantastic what they've built there in terms of uh, infrastructure and, and the enthusiasm and, and the professionalism of the event because it clearly is there. They, they, have, they have moved mountains to try to make that tournament as good as it can be and they responded to me on Twitter when I, when I said, that it's, well, why are the crowds so small inside this stadium you know is it a general apathy towards sport or tennis within the country I, I or, or certainly within the city I, I just I don't know and uh, the Wuhan tennis tournament Twitter feed responded and said look we we are we have crowds that are rising based on last year and we are in it for the long term and and I, I have huge respect for that I mean it takes time for them, for crowds and enthusiasm to grow I also I, I, I did a little bit of research, at least by talking to a couple of people who I know have covered the event out there and covered uh, tennis in China for a, for a long time, and to try to get a sense for something that I might be missing because I haven't covered tennis in China. And the gist of it was: look, this is a sport that really wasn't on the radar at all a number of years ago, and it's about introducing it to people and making them aware that that it exists that it's great that it's an option that it's better than doing something else with your money with there's also the elements of the sheer cost of going to these tennis tournaments given the, the disposable income available and how simply how busy people are with their general working life and let's be honest i was talking about a a shot on tv of a stadium in the middle of the afternoon on a weekday so you know these are all mitigating circumstances to why that stadium looked so empty it's just when it when you do see it it's a horrible look for tennis because it feels wrong you've got world-class tennis players and you've got a massive stadium and you've got hardly anybody in it it's 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 a shame um, but you're right, the, the final couple of days, certainly the final, was a good atmosphere. I've just done the, the first day of our coverage, I think it's day two of Beijing uh, on BT Sport, and it was, a, it, it was a good atmosphere again, it was a, a much better atmosphere. Now that's obviously a tournament with more than a decade of, of history, so that has had time to build as well, um, the capital of, of China, and you know they have had good crowds in the past. So... I, th- I felt we needed to, to discuss it, but I'm also I'm hopeful that it's that it's definitely going in the right direction. Essentially, I think su- supply has come before demand, and uh, the hope is, and, and the indications from Beijing, the more established tournament, and Shanghai, I think as well, is that demand will follow. But essentially, I mean, understandably, I think tennis got very very excited about 
the market possibilities of China and Asia. And tennis isn't alone in that. I mean, the world has been very excited over the last 10, 15 years about the financial possibilities of its horrible terminology, but exploiting that market. And so I think started exploiting that market before the demand existed. But I, I, I certainly think the indications are that demand is very much growing. I think from what I can get, I covered a Champions Tour event in Chengdu for a number of years, the same venue that is now hosting the men's event in Chengdu, which is, is just finished. Uh, and uh, the, the crowds were not good. They were very much not good. There were lots of things stacked against the tournament. The weather was horrendous, dreadful, dreadful smog, all those sorts of things. Uh, and they hadn't had a long time to market it. However, there was obviously lots of talk about the crowds being poor and the locals just said spectator sport is a very very new thing here it's not deeply entrenched in in the psyche you know in this country people have been going out on a Saturday to watch football every week for the last 150 years that's not the case in China it's going to take a long time to build up that culture but that doesn't mean that won't be the case and it's certainly I think the rate of development is is fast yeah, well, absolutely right. And the resources are there. The the sheer number of people are there in terms of tapping into a, a hopefully into a demographic that eventually really wakes up and realizes how good tennis is. Um, and and hopefully there's a there's a way that that uh, that once the the interest is peaked, that it'll be made possible for more people to go and they want to go. But. Um, I certainly enjoyed commentating on it today in Beijing and, and hopefully that will come across over the next week that, that crowds in Beijing are are better. Absolutely, very well said. Yeah, The signs are good uh, for Beijing this coming week. Now, I'm going to stop obfuscating and start talking about the road to Singapore leaderboard, which is ever so complicated. Uh, this is a particularly onerous task to have to talk you through this. It's complicated in a great way. It's incredibly exciting by contrast to the men's race for the O2 which we'll come on to later but David's nodding and indicating let me talk about it because I, I understand it brilliantly so I'm just going to hand the microphone over to David he's he's got that you know every single permutation do you David? No I don't know every single permutation but what I have had to do is obviously study it a fair bit for, for commentary I mean we obviously from a British uh, television station point of view are looking at the very outskirts of the top eight and whether Joe Conta, a British player, might be able to squeeze into that, that top eight. It's looking unlikely, isn't it? It's not looking at the Nigel Sears prediction which you relayed last week. Uh, as much as anything, talking to Nigel today, I, I know that he feels that the way she has applied herself this year, he feels she deserves to be there. Now, you could say that about any player, couldn't you? But I, I know what he means. It, it's, it's rare that you see a, a substandard performance from, from Joe Conta in um, in 2016 but the, w- the way it is at the moment in 8th position is Madison Keys, and some 350 points behind her is Joe Conter in 11th position now the upshot is I think she needs to get to the semi-finals to, to realistically stand any chance. That that would give her 390 points, um, and she needs. He's got numbers. He's got numbers as well. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I mean the the thing is, the early two or three rounds in these tournaments, you don't get a huge amount for. You get 60 points, and then another 60 points. When you get to the semis, you get 350. If you get to the final, you get 650. Um, or oh, sorry, 390, and then 650. If you win it, you get a thousand. So you're suddenly doubling your points each time, um, which which makes a massive difference in in terms of the, those standings. But and, and just to make it all uber uber exciting, uh, Kuznetsova, Konta, Kvitova, no Muguruza, Keys, Kuznetsova, Kvitova have all been drawn in the same quarter. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be some head to head matches in the third round and, 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 and quarterfinals which will have a direct bearing on, on who ends up going but Simona Halep uh, has or will qualify very shortly uh, Agnieszka Radvanska is on the brink Muguruza isn't far away she, that, these are players that will all qualify uh, I, I think the only ones that are really vulnerable in the top eight are Sybil Kova in seventh position and then in eighth position Madison Keys. Those those are the ones that, that could still be caught, really. The Venus Williams? 
Well, she's down in, I think, tw- uh, 12th position. She's now behind uh, Joe Conta, some way adrift. In fact, no, 13th now because Kvitova has leapfrogged her. If Kvitova were to win and just go and do peak Petra and, and win Beijing, she will get there. She will get 1,000 points. It'll put her ahead of everybody else uh, in that little cluster, and she will qualify. But I think she needs to reach the final. I mean, potential round of 16 matchups in Beijing. It's mouthwatering. Pliskova, Konta, Sibylkova, Suarez, Navarro, but Suarez, Navarro is already out. Uh, actually, uh, third round would be Pliskova against Konta. Uh, that, that's how, how early on we're, we're oh, crikey. those players meeting. Um, and then, I mean, just to give you an idea of what Konta's up against here, third round Pliskova, quarterfinal Halep, just to get to the semis. I have my little theory is that Pliskova only has to get to the third round to qualify uh, for, for for the the tour finals. I think that that it, that could well take an edge off certain players if they've already qualified. It's just human nature. I've seen it before. I'm perhaps grasping at straws from a British perspective. Look, we we try to be objective, but from a, a, sh- a specifically British perspective, we are interested in how Conta goes um, and. Today, she won 6-1-6-1 against Anastasia Sevastova, who defeated her at the US Open. And Sevastova wasn't very good today, but Conta was relentless. And she looks like she's well capable of having a deep run. I mean, she may run into somebody playing like Kvitova did, but I I have a feeling Conta's going to have a deep run in Beijing. Okay, deep run is, in terms of the road to Singapore, pretty vague, David. Who's going to do it? Who isn't? I think, is it going to be a deep enough run is essentially what I mean? No, I, I think she's going to just miss out. I think she might make the semis. Um, or, or at least... The, I think she might make the semis and still just miss out. OK, so I'm going to assume that every all the top six is set in stone and we've got two places up for grabs. That's what I'm going to assume. Everyone up to Muguruza, we're saying, is OK. Uh, next up, we have Sobolkova, in or out? Uh, in... Suarez Navarro. Well, she's lost already. Can she still? Do, does she need everybody to lose, pretty much? Yeah, and she needs to to enter something else like Moscow uh, or, or one of the other tournaments and get points there. I don't think she's going to make it. Uh, Madison Keys. Yeah, I think she'll make it. So you're saying Joe Conta out? I, 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 here's what I think. I think I think Sibylkova and Keys are in the the box seats, and I think Kuznetsova plays keys i believe um in, in the, the early rounds i i mean it you know a lot will do it'll all depend on who wins that really oh, that'd be good wouldn't it playing off uh, essentially that would be a great match yeah but I, I, there is still a question mark over serena and whether she will actually play she's missing beijing if she doesn't make it if she doesn't play singapore then i, th- I think i think as things stand conta will go as an alternate that, that is my feeling on it do you think Serena will play? Do we? Do we, we? We obviously talked about this last week. Do we know any more than we did last week when we talked about whether or not she'd play? No, I mean her quotes um, after pulling out are that that I've I've got, got a long-standing shoulder injury. She was actually quite explicit and said I, I don't want to turn up at these tournaments anymore and take losses that I shouldn't be taking. She said I'm fed up with playing injured, didn't she? That's that's yeah, pretty telling. Yeah, and she said I, I want to get ready for Singapore. She was very explicit about that now whether that's enough time to recover sufficiently to not feel as if she's playing injured i have no idea but that, that that'll be to me that's that's certainly not assured that she will go let's talk about beijing from the men's point of view andy murray is playing he's there novak djokovic is not there he's pulled out due to his elbow injury the same injury he says that caused him issues with the serve uh, he called it did he call it a micro injury was that his word it's a new a new term I mean I'll, haven't we all got sort of a million micro injuries <laughs> I mean I think didn't Rafael Nadal once said the last time I played without any pet you know he's he's a walking micro injury um, so yeah he's pulled out of Beijing Andy Murray is going what do we think about this do we th- you know there's all sorts of permutations regarding that number one ranking you know yes it's still an enormous gap but Andy Murray surely every time this happens every time he has an opportunity to steal a march he's got to be 
wide-eyed about it, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's, it doesn't have the same degree of points as the women's event has because that's uh, got 1,000 points for the winner, whereas the men's has only got 500. But it, it is another opportunity for Andy Murray to get points on the board and and continue that, that move towards number one which obviously we know he wants and, and that he hopes he'll eventually get Djokovic I find particularly interesting he gave um, some quotes over the last couple of days about how effectively he wants to start taking pressure off himself and stop worrying about number one and stop worrying about winning grand slams and just just play a little bit more rather than concerning himself with the, the repercussions of, of doing so he said I want to worry about numbers less and records less you know I think after he won that French Open, which it, how could you not be obsessed with with getting that in in the position that he was in, and you know everything that had happened the year before him getting so well, getting so close several times. But I'm sure the Vavrinka one was loss was particularly heartbreaking. It seems like after that, I mean, lots of things have happened, lots of speculation about what's happened has happened. But it, it does. It sounds like he just wants to obsess about it all less and just get back to hitting forehands and backhands yeah and I can understand that I think it's it's pretty stressful I, I remember seeing Pete Sampras right at the end not at the end of his career but certainly when he was trying to finish world number one for a sixth year in a row I remember when I was an ATP communications manager back in 1998 and he, he was going for that that record it had never been done before it's still never been done since nobody has ever matched that's one record he's got all to himself and he was so miserable that week uh, as he was trying to seal it and and I remember I was ta- uh, taking him to press conferences and he looked like he would rather be anywhere else and he was admitting it he was saying I just you know you could see it written all over his face how s- stressful and how fatigued he felt and how he, he clearly just wanted a, s- a simpler life but he got to get this first because there'll always be another record to go for right once you get one you know, oh, you've equaled, you've beaten Roy Emerson. You, you, you know, you, you're up to whatever it is in the all-time list. Okay, so now go one place higher. Okay, you've got the Candier Grand Slam. No, you've got the Career Grand Slam. Okay, but go for the Candier Grand Slam or the Candier Golden Slam. There'll always be another record to to go for. At some point, you've got to say, okay, I'm happy with that. I'm going to let myself enjoy it. I'd love more. That'd be great. But you've just got to say. I've achieved that record and that's great and that's enough. It's like boxers with comebacks, you know, you've got to know when to call it a day and one thing that Sampras has said in recent years since then is, you know, inevitably people say, you know, you worked all these years to amass all these records and within a couple of years Federer came along and just picked them all off one by one and and you could argue that that's now happening with two other players, Nadal and, and Djokovic and yet if you wanted to be really uncharitable as Sampras or or, or or irritated by it you could be there, there is reason enough there to be thinking it's just not fair but he actually has said on a number of occasions whether, whether he means this or not I take him at face value he said look I'm happy with my career I did what I did I'm happy with it and good luck to these guys if they can beat beat that you know, fair play you can't argue with that and you've got to find peace with your own achievements in in, in life <laughs> sounds quite philosophical but I, I, I genuinely believe that and um, and Djokovic Djokovic is an interesting one because he's still on that journey and he is still it's, it's reachable for him that's the interesting thing for me is that what's he on 12 slams it's reachable that he could get up to 17 it suddenly does though feel quite a long way away Whereas a year ago or six months ago, it felt really, really close. Now, and well, we tend to be very reactive on this podcast in the tennis world. But it's not just us, is it? I'm, I'm suddenly hearing you say that. I'm suddenly remembering what Goran told you at the Australian Open this year after Djokovic had won it. He sort of said in a slightly casual way, "Well, which one? You know, who's going to stop him getting to beating Federer's record? Which which one slams isn't he going to win? Is if just because he's playing this brilliantly now, and he's only 29 years old?" or 28 as he was at the time you know who's going to stop him and it's just not that simple is it 
No, no, it's not. And uh, we, we've had this conversation in the past. Remember when we, we put into one of the podcasts a few months back, the interview I did, uh, sorry, name dropping again, but the interview I did with Federer in 2010 when he was on 16 slams. And I said, how many more do you want? Do you, would, would you take um, three more in five years? And he said, no. And he's won one more in six years. Um, and it shows it's not that easy. Nadal, when he got to 14, and he, he won the US Open and all this, we all thought this guy's going to catch Federer. He's going to win. He, he wins the French Open every year, doesn't he? Well, he hasn't won it the last two years. And now it's the same with Djokovic. Despite David Law predicting that he will. <laughs> all right. Hey, I, I predicted Djokovic this year, didn't I? I did. I was the one. So did I, didn't I? Oh, well, I think you all did, yeah. Everybody in the whole world <laughs> predicted it, and here we are showing off about it. But, um, no, I, I think it is it is a trap that is all too easy to fall into, to just assume that because it's happening now, it'll continue to happen. Um, it's fascinating finding out, though, isn't it? But, you know, Djok- yeah, Djokovic is, is definitely reassessing, because those micro-injuries that he refers to, there's, there's been quite a handful of them lately, and that that hasn't been the case in the past yeah I really like that expression I, r- I really really like it uh, I think it I think I think it might be one of those expressions like super coach which just gets put you know it'll be common currency in uh, tennis lingo by this time next year uh, we're going to have a little chat about the ATP race to the O2 but first of all just to bring you up to date with uh, a couple of things that have happened in the past week on the ATP World Tour Thomas Burdick who's uh, doing his very best to make up for lost time and try and insert himself into the O2 conversation uh, he's won the title in Shenzhen this week beat Richard Gasquet in the final and Karen Kachanov has won his maiden ATP World Tour title in Chengdu. Uh, it's the second hashtag next gen uh, title winning moment in two weeks. The ATP website is very excited about that. There's hashtag next gen everywhere. How good is Karen Kachanov, David? Well, well, you, you know that he's got potential as well because Brad Gilbert, he's beside himself as well. What's his nickname? Uh, do you know, there was actually somebody said to him, what nickname have you got for Karen Kachinov? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing the guy's name correctly here. Well, we're, we're, if we're pronouncing it wrong, we're pronouncing it wrong in the same way, which is always crucial, I feel. Yeah, I, I, I even read that Brad was saying that you don't even pronounce the K on the surname, so maybe it's Karen Hatchinov. I, I, I don't know. You know, th- this... When did Brad Gilbert become the Russian language authority? When he started calling uh, Bernard Tomic Weekend at Bernie's, probably. Uh, but, um, look, I'm not, not dissing Brad. I mean, they're, they're entertaining, aren't they, these nicknames? But he, um, he, he hadn't come up with anything yet. And I, I also feel as though I was, I'm always quite amused when a new player comes along and we don't really know how to pronounce his name and then, or her name. And then a few years later, it just becomes so much of common parlance that we, we, we look back and cringe at ourselves I, I, I do it now about if I were to watch coverage of Moscow last year and when we were commentating on BT Sport and my, my butchering of Kasatkina which I could not say correctly. What were you saying? I, I, a combination of about four different things none of which were right my favourite uh, Arsenal well one, well, actually no I listen to two Arsenal podcasts no one can agree on how to pronounce Santi Cazorla's name so it's fine no there's a there's a th in it isn't there <laughs> yeah well I've probably just got it wrong uh, just interestingly uh, tweeted by the ATP there have been nine first time winners on the ATP world tour this year that's the most since 2011 when there are 10 there could yet be another one so it, it it's the most at the moment since 2011 so there's definitely something in this hashtag next gen thing isn't there there's, there's a gathering group I mean to be fair they've, they've picked enough players to stick hashtag next gen next to which you, you can't blame them can you really there is an official formula for it I think it's under 21 or 21 and under uh, and inside the top 200 there's an official formula well fair enough you know uh, and and actually I, I I like the group that is coming along and um, the the fact that they're all winning titles in fairly close proximity their first titles and and it's exciting to see them take on the sort of what we thought of as the next gen of Raonic and Nishikori and and Dimitrov and people like that who team 
yeah, team who's kind of bridges the two, and and then obviously the the established order, and then the old fellas like Federer and Nadal. I mean, Nadal against Puy, Puy, as you keep telling me to call him, um, being the perfect uh, example. So, I, I, I mean, I'm glasses half full kind of person anyway, but I like. This. No, David, no. You do surprise me. Well, unless Rose is about. It's irony. Unless Rose is around and then I just hide in the corner. I mean, crikey. What do you feed that dog on? Raw meat or what? If you could only meet her, David, you would feel so silly. She is just a delight. No intention of meeting her ever. She does high five on demand. What's not to like? We definitely need to get that on video. (laughs) Um, so, we uh, are going to talk about the race to the O2. So, we've got Djokovic, Murray, Vavrinka, the only three that have officially qualified. Uh, but it's not that much of a race, is it? There's a little bit more of a way to go. So, there are a, f- a few more things that could shake out. There's two 1,000 events still to come. So, it is mathematically possible that Burdick, Chilich, and Goffin, who are in 9th, 10th, and 11th, could get there. But it is looking unlikely, isn't it? I saw a poster yesterday. I can't remember. I was driving along somewhere. I think I was on the Lower Richmond Road in Putney. And I saw a poster, huge poster for the ATP World Tour Finals. And it had all eight players on it. Usually at this time of year, you'd sort of, you know, they make mock up a poster with, with five of them on it because the other three are still TBC. But Monfils was there. Team was there. Nadal was there. All eight players were there, and it does look very much like we do know the eight that are going to be there, doesn't it? Yes, it, it, it does. And um, to to just run down them, there's uh, at the top, obviously, Djokovic, Murray, Vavrinka, uh, Raonic, Nishikori, Monfils, Team, and Nadal in those positions just at the moment. But Burdick is uh, is just down beneath them, and uh, and then Marin Cilic. But I mean, if one of those two did what Kvitova did and, and won Shanghai or won Paris, then, then they'll be part of that conversation too. But this has been the theme for the last, certainly last year. I think there was a, there was a bit of a race the year before, wasn't there, when Murray was trying to get there and he was playing all those events to make sure he did. But in this, in this last two years, this year and last year, it's been drama-free, really. There has been no real race because the top eight have separated themselves. Very, very interesting. I mean, it's going to be a huge motivator for for Burdick Chilich. I mean, I, I'm putting Goffin in there because it's mathematically possible, but hugely unlikely. I would say that Goffin, he would probably have to win a Masters, win one of Shanghai or Paris, and have pretty good results uh, at the other one. So, uh, yeah, I'm putting him mathematically in the conversation. It's a huge motivator for them. It's interesting. Rafael Nadal is at number eight at the moment. He is we think pretty secure of qualifying I've always found it interesting particularly over the last year or so but I think it's already been the case he's obsessed with the race isn't it he's obsessed with qualifying for the O2 in a way that the others I mean they care about it and it matters to them but in a way that you'd perhaps not expect a 14 time Grand Slam champion to be as obsessed with just making sure he's in the world's top eight at the end of the year. I always find that interesting. And yet, to me, to be honest, it goes with his personality. I think he's somebody who is very ordered and he likes to have a clear indicator of where he is in life, whether it's the bottles and all the rest of it. And I can imagine him looking at that and thinking, well, that's how my year's going, you know? Um, and, And probably feels quite comfortable with that. Well, that's exactly what he says, because the indicators of his being obsessed or oh, i remember several times that i particularly have one incident in a press conference in in madrid you know where he was being fired questions about oh you're not having a great year you know not one to etc etc and he said oh well i'm 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 doing all right in the race i'm probably going to qualify for london everyone just thought oh that's that's how you're thinking <laughs> i mean you know who's to argue with how he views his career i tell you what looking at that list the names monfils and team really stick out to me isn't it exciting nice? isn't it yeah the, the thought of monfils being in that group i mean fair play to him i mean uh, i do feel he let himself down in that semi-final at the u.s open regardless of what he says that that's just my personal opinion i think it's a shame i'm sure he'll do better next time when he's in that position but i love having him in that group i mean you can only imagine the sort of excitement that that he might bring to that tournament and and a team i know we 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 question and and i can would continue to question the 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 sense of of 
playing as much as he's playing. Yeah, he might not be able to get out of bed come November. But he does still keep doing so. And, and I, I also, just to cut him a bit of slack, I remember the first year Federer qualified for it. And I remember what he was like and how he was counting the points and how he was working it out if I, and how stressed he was trying to just win that one last match in Paris to make sure he got there and how glowing he was glowing with pride when he when he managed to make it in 2002 well it's a big deal it is well that's that's great and I hope the team feels the same about it 2001 I think actually it was but I remember it was my last year um we, I, I can't remember what I was doing there, but I was in Paris-Bercy. And I, Just hanging out. Yeah, I, I, I remember interviewing him. Sorry, name drop again. Uh, we should have a name drop klaxon, shouldn't we? A, a big, loud klaxon every time I drop a name. And uh, Federer, yeah, he was he was absolutely delighted. So I can... Maybe that is the motivation. Maybe he just wants to make sure he gets there. It's still a bit of a way away. We'll have plenty more conversation of, about that in tennis podcasts to come. Pole vault still remains to be done uh, on this podcast but just before then we have three questions from listeners via Twitter David you're going to answer them very very quickly I've picked the best three from a, a slightly spurious selection uh, first of all catch a novel Kyrgios who's having the better career one word answers please David draw Oh God! <laughs> because, because the thing is, they're in they're in different stages, aren't they? Kachanov is an unbelievable. Right yeah, he's having the better career. If you had to put your money on one of them now, who are you going on? Curious. Okay, easy. No ad at juice suggestion. Something which um, Reem Abdelil uh, did an interview with Steve Simon this week, and he talked about how he wants to shorten the women's game, introduce more shorter formats of the women's game. Mentioned no ad juice. Good or bad, David? Good or bad? bad uh, and then we have realistically I should credit who's sending both of those questions were from Susie this is from Bob's Nev realistically do you think that Andy presumably Murray has a chance of claiming the number one spot or will Jocko win Shanghai Paris and the World Tour Finals again uh, I don't think he'll win all of them this year I don't think Andy Murray will get to number one in the world this year but I think he will next year Punchy, punchy. See, when you're pressed, David, I can get you off that fence. Uh, that is it for this segment of the Tennis Podcast. Pole Vault is coming up. That will be presented by David Law because I refuse to have anything to do with it. So if you want to fast forward through that section, you can. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. 
Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Right then, we've got rid of Catherine Whittaker so we can get on with Paul Vault, everybody. I know you've been waiting for that and probably a lot of you just fast-forwarded the rest of that nonsense to get to this bit 42 minutes in. But anyway, my question to you on Twitter at Tennis Podcast, peak Petra Kvitova, while she was destroying Simona Halep, I asked, peak Petra versus peak Serena, who wins? And... In your votes, you told me 36% would go for Petra Kvitova at her peak. 64% would still go for Serena Williams. Catherine Whittaker is not looking very happy. Well, she's got a 5-1 head-to-head against her. I mean... Yeah, but that might not, might not have been peak Petra ever. Oh, yeah. Uh, Serena, obviously. Catherine Whittaker there, uh, here on the Tennis Podcast. I also asked you on Paul, in Pole Vault, uh, assuming the top seven qualify, who will take that eighth spot in the race to Singapore? I think I asked that about four or five hours ago uh, as I speak to you right now. So all those standings we, we told you about were, were still valid. Now, 56% of you said that Madison Keys will make it. She's currently in that eighth spot, so most of you are backing her. 4% said Suarez Navarro. I agree with you totally. Uh, 11% went with Kuznetsova, who is marginally ahead in points than uh, Joe Conta in number 11. And uh, there's 20 points between them, but 29% of you reckon that Joe Conta will make it. Quite a few people as a, an outsider although we, we, did, we couldn't include her in pole vault because there wasn't five options to go with but quite a few people replied with Kvitova what do you think Catherine who is going to make let's assume that all the other seven that are currently in there make it who is going to be the eighth hang on what do, remind me what Kvitova is going to need to do in Beijing this week in order to do it She's going to need to at least make the final and get 600-odd points. Uh, that would get her up to just on the heels of Keys uh, as things stand. But Keys might obviously make some more progress. So, realistically, she's got to win it. It's really not in her hands, basically. Even if she wins it, though. It- if she won it, I mean, the chances are she's in. She will, she will be in if she wins it, I think. I, do you know what? I, she certainly could win it. I mean, talk about a role. I mean... She didn't expend too much energy winning in Wuhan last week, so I don't see that being an issue. My goodness me, that would be exciting. Yeah, go on then. I'll go for that. I'll take that. Kvitova, says Catherine Whittaker here on Pole Vault. Now, one other question I asked you, the final Pole Vault of the week, is um, Caroline Wozniacki against uh, Sam Stosa earlier on in the, uh, in the Wuhan tournament last week. Uh, I was watching this match. And it suddenly occurred to me, you know, here you've got Caroline Wozniacki, who's been world number one, and she's never won a slam. You've got Sam Stosa, who's won a slam and has never achieved anything like the same degree of ranking success and, I guess, consistency that Wozniacki has. But she's also reached another Grand Slam final as well, the French Open. Which of the two has had the better career? What do you think, Catherine Whittaker? I've asked the question on pole vault. What do you think? I can't say who's had the better career. I know... Whose would you have? If I, you could have one or other of their career, whose would you have? I would take Sam, Sam Stoza's. I, I would have covered a Grand Slam above anything else. And I, I think most would. I certainly think, you know, Tim Henman was pretty unequivocal about that when we asked him uh, last year. Uh, yeah, I would take Sam Stoza's career... Obviously, being the best tennis player in the world is a fantastic achievement, but I would, I would have the slam. 54% of our loyal tennis podcast pole vault listeners say that they would also back Sam Stoser and rather have her career over the 46% who went for Wozniacki. How did you word the question? I worded it. Whose career would you rather have, right, Catherine so Whitaker? Whose is better? Whose would you personally rather have? Okay, that's fine. See, I've got no issue with pole vaults like that where people are just saying what they would like, you know. That's... I'm fine, so I've done 28 pole vaults in the last two weeks and one has finally got Catherine Whitaker's uh, nod of approval. So I think we might be able to keep the category for another week, folks. And if we don't, I'll just run off with the microphone and 
do it in a corner while Catherine Ridicu just you know can do her own thing and hang out with Rosie. Um, but the, um, uh, the 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 interesting conversation I had today we're on this subject. I actually brought it up on. BT Sport, and I just about managed to avoid saying pole vault. He's, uh, only, he's only got so much material, he's having to <laughs> reproduce it. And you know, having to spread it thinly. Uh, I had this conversation with Nigel Sears, uh, top tour coach, and I said, what, what do you think? What, what would you as a coach covet more as an achievement out of a slam and a world number one ranking if you could only have one? He said he would go with the number one ranking, and I think that's probably quite an interesting coach's uh, viewpoint, and, and he also pointed out she was number one in the world for 67 weeks in a row. I mean, that is a major achievement, particularly given that she didn't win a slam. But I always feel that there's just a bit of an asterisk next to her, her number one ranking as a result. And there's probably a lot of people that think that is very harsh, but that's kind of how I feel. That's absolutely true. Yeah, it is It is harsh, but mention you know Caroline Wozniacki world important to anyone and they'll you know scratch their head and say oh yeah wasn't that during sort of that period when you know Ivanovic got there and Dinara Safina got there and Yelena Jankovic got there and oh that was just a bit of a weird time in women's tennis wasn't it you know that's rightly or wrongly what people think and uh, you know I'm not sure there can ever be an asterisk next to a Grand Slam title you know Maybe. should say that Ivanovic did both, of course, but I know exactly what you mean, and that the other players you mentioned are... I, I think they're also indicative of how great Serena Williams is on her day, that even when she was unable to string it all together and be consistently world number one, if she played in the tournament and played well, she won them. Absolutely. There, look, there's, there's plenty of explanations for all of it. I'm not defending that viewpoint. I'm not saying any of those didn't deserve to be number one. or that, you know, I'm just saying that is a, a, a pretty widely held general view. And I'm not sure you can have that with the Grand Slam title. You know, there's no hiding. You can't, I mean, maybe, you know, Thomas Johansson, Australian Open, perhaps people could level that sort of you know there's the very odd one but even then I'd say you know you won that fair and square that's yeah you can't argue with a grand slam title I don't think in the same way so Catherine Whittaker has given the thumbs up to, up to pole vault this week thank you all for listening here on the tennis podcast Catherine's looking at me as if to say that is not a thumbs up one out of three selections is not sufficient to be a thumbs up but anyway Catherine that's uh, another tennis podcast brought to you in association with the Telegraph do do say hello to Rosie for me <laughs> well no I won't you do you're not you're not exactly her biggest fan. You have to meet her. She'll win you over within seconds, I promise. I'm not worthy of Rosie. No, you're not worthy of Rosie. She high-fives on demand. Come on. It's better than most humans. It's pretty good, actually, isn't it? The Tennis Podcast's official mascot, Rosie the dog. We'll speak to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>